stand together for the reading of God's Word. The title of today's sermon is Gossip, Deadly Poison. Uh, The focus of uh, the scripture I'll be reading to you there is in verse 15 from chapter 4 of Ephesians, but I'll be reading from verse 11 through to verse 16 of chapter 4 in Ephesians. Please listen carefully. This is God's holy and infallible word. And he gave, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knitted together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Thus ends the reading of God's Word. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. So if you'll open up your hymnals to page 973, we'll enjoy some catechism questions together. May God bless us to be consecrated once again, chopped up and put back together better than we were before we got here. Question 76 there on page 973. Altogether, what is the ninth commandment? The ninth commandment is, Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Question 77, what is required in the ninth commandment? The ninth commandment requireth the maintaining and promoting of truth between man and man, and of our own and our neighbor's good name, especially in witness-bearing. What is forbidden in the ninth commandment? The ninth commandment forbiddeth whatsoever is prejudicial to truth or injurious to our own or our neighbor's good name. So today we will all hear the word like Bereans, take it to heart, uh, check and see if what you're hearing is in keeping with God's word. This is our regularly occurring sermon on gossip. And we hope that this will be a way to protect ourselves from this dangerous poison, this corrupt word that can and does destroy relationships, families, and churches. But you know, this poison can taste so good. So we have to be vigilant. We have to understand that this is just a part of what it means to be human. What is gossip? How do we avoid it? What happens if we give in to it? How are we supposed to respond to it? What's the righteous way to respond to it? And how do we understand what it is as it's happening? But first, let's get a beautiful vision for our speech. Proverbs 31.6 says, The law of kindness is on her tongue. Listen to Matthew Henry's description of this. She is discreet and obliging in all her discourse, not talkative, censorious, nor peevish, as some are, that know how to take pains. No, 
She opens her mouth with wisdom. When she does speak, it is with a great deal of prudence and very much to the purpose. You may perceive by every word she says how much she governs herself by the rules of wisdom. She not only takes prudent measures herself, but gives prudent advice to others. And this not as assuming the authority of a dictator, but with the affection of a friend and an obliging heir. In her tongue is the law of kindness. All she says is under the government of that law. The law of love and kindness is written in the heart, but it shows itself in the tongue. If we are kindly affectioned one to another, it will appear by affectionate expression. It is called a law of kindness because it gives law to others, to all she converses with. Her wisdom and kindness together put a commanding power into all she says. They command respect. They command compliance. How forcible are right words. In her tongue is the law of grace or mercy, so, so some read it. Understanding it of the word and law of God, which she delights to talk of among her children and servants. She is full of pious religious discourse and manages it prudently, which shows how full her heart is of another world, even when her hands are most busy <clears throat> about this world. Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. So our goal with our words should be needful Good for needful building up in the faith of those around us that we may impart grace to those with whom we are speaking. Let this be our vision for richness of speech. Wisdom and affection woven together in order to build up and to impart grace. That's a beautiful vision, isn't it? Identifying unrighteousness is not usually that difficult. It can be, but it's not usually that difficult. But learning how to express and disciple and lead like Christ has led us by dying on the cross, this is how He showed us our need through His death on the cross. You see, Jesus could have delivered a message to us from a distance uh, by the stars or from the birds. He could have written it in the skies, but instead he came in person. He came alongside us to join with us and to die for us. He showed us what the law of kindness on the tongue is all about through coming, dwelling with us, suffering in our midst, and dying on the cross for us. You see, we cling like noisy gongs when we blast people from a distance, having some sort of cold, sharp law on our tongues, but not the law of kindness. So let's avoid hasty, simple-mindedness in how we approach speaking the truth in love to one another. This beautiful model, this beautiful model life of speaking the law of kindness is not something that we can fake, brothers and sisters. Not something that we can conjure up on our own. Who we are eventually comes out. 
It can only come from being born again from above. We have to be filled with that which comes from outside of us. The sweetness of the gospel of God. His Holy Spirit must fill us. This is how we can have a law of kindness on our tongues. It must be written on our hearts first. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth will speak. Our speech reveals what we hold dear in our hearts. It eventually comes out. Brothers and sisters, we must be born again from above and then continue in this life of repentant, repentance and faith towards Christ, continuing to drink from His Spirit and His Word daily, or we will consistently, or we will not consistently speak the truth in love. We will, we will fail. Not consistently having the law of kindness on our tongues. That's what happens, and I think we can all see these failures in our lives, even as Christians, when we drift away from God, our tongues become these little knives, these little fires. Matthew 12, 33 and 35 says, Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. So if you're here today and you do not believe in Jesus Christ, this means that you are absolutely enslaved to a tongue that will control you and it will be a deadly poison for you and for others in your life. When I stand here preaching the word about the tongue and I call you to a righteous life with your tongue, understand that I might as well be calling you to fly to the moon. You cannot do this unless you are born again. And even then you must be walking closely to the Lord if you're going to have a tongue that is tame. So repent and believe in Jesus Christ here today if you are not a believer. Confess your sin to Him. Look to Him upon the cross and trust in His death for your salvation. At that point in time, through His resurrection from the dead and by the outpouring of His Spirit in your life, you will be made able by Christ dwelling in you. You will have hope for your tongue to carry forth the law of kindness so that you can be a voice of blessing to the people in your life. What about if you are consistently grieving and quenching the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, not walking in close communion with God as a believer, then your sanctification will be slow and it will be grievous to those around you. And your speech will contain corrupt words that tear down instead of words that build up and impart grace. He who is forgiven much loves much. Behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him, weeping. She began to wash his feet with her tears. 
and wiped them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, (coughs) he spoke to himself saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, Teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, You have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Do you see the power of love that flows from a grateful heart that you've been forgiven by God and you don't deserve it? I might as well just close this book and sit down for the rest of this sermon if this is not true for you. There's no hope of you living out the principles that I'm going to lay out if you've not been gripped with the gratitude of God in your life for what Christ has done for you. Because then there's that good tree that can bear these good fruits. So some questions to ponder before moving into this teaching today about gossip. Do you have this beautiful model as the overall vision for your speech? Do you see the law of kindness on your own tongue? Do you see your words weaving together wisdom and love to build up and to impart grace to those in your life? Do you speak the truth in love as a fruit of God's word spoken into your own soul, giving you new life in Christ? Do you find tenderheartedness and affection seasoning your words because of the affection and the mercy and the kindness of God your Father to you? Does gratitude toward God flow out in your speech toward others? Do you see areas already where you need to improve learning to speak from the Spirit in you and not the flesh in you? What is it that motivates you and how you choose to communicate with others? Is it to glorify God and to build others up and to impart more grace to them? Or is it self-focused, designed to advance yourself, to 
gain advantage, to glorify yourself, to fit in, or maybe to protect yourself, or maybe even to punish others. There's this overarching goal that we have in our lives given to us in 1 Corinthians 10.31. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. How quickly we forget these simple things, yes? As we go on now to describe gossip, let us all examine ourselves in light of God's word. Take this to heart for yourself today. Looking for those wonderful yet painful opportunities to repent and to be transformed and to grow up in every way into Christ our Lord. So about the tongue. Did you know that the tongue is a restless evil full of deadly poison? The average adult male tongue weighs about 70 grams. The average adult female tongue weighs about 60 grams. The comparison here is one plum, an average plum, weighs about 65 grams. It's pretty small in comparison to the rest of the body. Typical adult, 70 kilograms, right? 70,000 grams. It's like a bit controlling a horse, your tongue is. It's like a rudder controlling the ship of your life, your tongue is. It's like a small fire that can consume and set your whole life ablaze in the life of others around you. Your tongue is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Don't underestimate the importance of your tongue, your speech, in your life as you consider sanctification. Oh, brothers and sisters, it will boast and boast of great things and it cannot be tamed by any human power. James 3, my brethren, let not many of you become teachers knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment for we all stumble in many things. Now listen to this. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships, although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature. And it is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. 
We must see the tongue is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. Receive this powerful warning from the Word of God. Watch out. That's what this text is saying to us. Watch out for your tongue. The out of control tongue is a raging destroyer, blazing, burning, and no man apart from Christ can tame this restless evil full of deadly poison. Sometimes I think, let's just all go to the doctor and have them just cut our tongue out, maybe sew our mouths shut, but even then we'd figure out a way to communicate sinfully and tear people down. So you do see it's not just an anatomic thing. You could still write, you could still type. The only hope is to be born again, to be delivered from our tendency to harm others with how we communicate. Listen, apart from Christ, you would have more success trying to tame wild grizzly bears and lions and wolves and coyotes and vultures and cobras and rattlesnakes and sharks and killer whales than you will have trying to tame your own tongue. It's also full of this deadly poison. Poison. Have you ever studied about deadly poisonous creatures that strike? Some of us have had some very close experiences with these kinds of creatures. Spiders, scorpions, snakes. They envenomate. That's the word. So when you, when you start acting like this, you're envenomating someone. Or perhaps they envenomate you with the words they speak to you. The untamed tongue is compared to these types of creatures. So once the tongue strike occurs, the poison, it's delivered. And even though forgiveness may be granted and received, y'all listen, the poison is still at work. Forgiveness itself does not immediately neutralize all the destruction that comes from a big, fat mouth. And I'm actually going to show you later that that's fairly accurate biblical description. It's also, (coughs) our tongue is like a fire. Similarly, while the initial spark of destructive words may be forgiven, a blaze of pain and suffering may still ensue from all of this. Have you ever asked yourself if your tongue has been tamed by Christ? I'll bet you that if we paused for a moment, we wouldn't have to even think back to the last Lord's Day to find a moment of some words that came out of our mouth that we're at least not sure of. Have you ever pondered the lingering impact on your relationships, on your family, on your marriage, on our church, on your friendships, of an untamed tongue? Have you pondered this before, what this does? Have you ever imagined, conversely, the glorious impact of a tongue-controlled by Christ. It's a beautiful thing. Proverbs 15, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. You see the comparison here in this text. The tongue of the wise uses knowledge rightly, but the mouth of fools pours forth foolishness. 
The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. A wholesome tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Do you know that? You can break somebody's spirit with your tongue. Also, we live in a culture that's just filled up with words upon words upon words upon words. So we can easily forget the value of our speech and the power of our speech for good or for evil. And we will be judged for every single word that comes out of our mouths. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. We live in an age that treats the words that come out of our mouths as if they don't matter. Deuteronomy 8 says, He humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with the manna which you did not know nor did your fathers know that He might make you know that man does not live by bread alone but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So, you can see, aren't we supposed to become like Christ? So what is proceeding out of our, our mouths? Will we be like our Maker? Will our words be a source of life and strengthening and encouragement in the midst of a world that mocks treating words like they matter? In the midst of a world that refuses to take seriously the moments of our lives that we have available to encourage one another, to build one another up. Will our words be a source of life and strengthening and encouragement in spite of the pressures all around us towards flippancy, shallowness, and worse with our words? So will our speech build up or tear down? Will your tongue be a sword or will it be like a tree of life? There's really no in-between. You're going in one direction or the other. Speaking unconsidered words is like firing a machine gun into the air. So if a, ch- if a church does not identify and reject gossip, it is a church that is regularly drinking poison. A church that is weak and, and that is threatened by this poison. So surely it is of first order importance to know what it is and how to avoid it. And the thing is, it's so common. We've, been, we've all been marinated in this, in our culture, in our lives, in our families of origin, all of us. It's a part of the fabric of, a, of the world in which we live. It takes experience and growth and wisdom and love to even learn that it's coming out of your mouth or that you're listening to it. <laughs> Imagine a rotting carcass in the woods. This is what happens to any relationship, any family, any institution if gossip is allowed in its midst. Gossip rots out the life of the group, of that group of people. Whatever they're doing together, whatever they're trying to accomplish, gossip left alone, left unchecked, will kill it. And certainly no one would want to be a part of a church like that. So if you put this together, what this means is that there's no chance that any church will ever survive unless the people are born again (laughs) and and walking by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
it'll just be one church split after another every eight or ten years or so. That's what you'll expect to see. Matthew 7, verses 1 through 5. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. With any, any bit of God's word, there's always that temptation to think of other people, right? So this is the time in the sermon where we all just say, we're not going to do that. We're going to examine ourselves in light of the word that we're hearing. And so the great news is that those of us who are born again and who are walking closely with Christ, and that's an important thing to emphasize, born again and walking closely with Christ, there's hope for us to tame our tongues more and more by God's grace and to be able to live in an environment where beautiful speech is taking place, wise and loving speech that is motivated by a desire to build up and to impart grace. We can experience this in our families and in our, in our church. This, and, and I think we are in many ways. And it can get even better and better over time. So let every word of this sermon land in your own mind and be used by the Holy Spirit to convict your own soul and lead you to repentance in your own life. Don't allow your sinful flesh to cause you to think of everyone else except yourself as you learn about this deadly poison, gossip. So what is it? What is gossip? It's mentioned about 56 times in the scriptures, this concept is. Now we're going to go to Proverbs 20, verse 19, and I'm going to look at a number of translations for you. ESV says, Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets. Therefore, do not associate with a simple babbler. NIV, a gossip betrays a confidence, so avoid a man who talks too much. In ASB, he who goes about as a slanderer reveals secrets. Therefore, do not associate with a gossip. King James, he that goeth about as a talebearer revealeth secrets. Therefore, meddle not with him that flattereth with his lips. In the Holman Christian Study Bible, is, is a really uh, very close literal translation. The one who reveals secrets is a constant gossip. Avoid someone with a big mouth. It turns out this is the most exact translation of that Hebrew word. It's someone with a big, giant, gaping mouth. Does anyone here suffer from being a simpler, simple babbler with a big mouth? I know I do sometimes. Is that a part of your life? Is that something that needs to be fixed up for you? This is basically having no filter between the brain and the mouth. We're just kind of whatever comes to the brain comes out the mouth. Saying just about everything that you think of. Without filtering it. The one who reveals secrets is a constant gossip. Avoid someone with a big mouth. So notice this idea of a gossip. It's a person that's being spoken about. And most of the time in Scripture, this concept is demonstrated to us in the Word by describing a person rather than an activity. The Scriptures want us to see that there are people who can be in this category. And of course, the question for us today is, 
each one of us is, are you in this category? When you examine yourself, are you a gossip? It's someone whose pattern is to habitually reveal personal or sensational facts about others, sharing rumors or any reports of an intimate nature. Webster's 1828, one who runs from house to house tattling and telling news, an idle tattler. And tattle means to tell tales, to communicate secrets. So basically, it's speaking negatively about a person without that person being present. There's a few exceptions to this, but that's just a real simple definition. We can all think about that, that if you're in a situation where you're saying something negative about someone who's not present, or someone's talking negatively to you about someone who's not present, that's the moment where the light just went from green to yellow. Okay? Not necessarily gossiping, but you might be gossiping or on your way to gossiping. That's where we can all put the brakes on in our minds at that moment. So you see, gossips keep the fire going. They start, they kindle, and they fuel the fires of difficulties. This is what gossips do. And since we're all sinners, every one of us, with our own weaknesses and our own character flaws that others can see, there's always ample fuel for gossips to latch onto and to toss around without being dishonest. That's the tricky thing. Gossips don't necessarily need to be dishonest in order to do their dirty work. Now, we all struggle with the sin, but that's different than being an entrenched gossiper. You see the difference? The unrepentant gossiper will hear this sermon and only be able to think about how everyone else is a gossiper. They get the log, the log stuck firmly in their own eye. And these exceptions that I'll mention, they're not exceptions for them. It's the rule for the gossip. They've always got an excuse for why it's okay to talk negatively about somebody when they're not there. And we all have to watch out for this. What are some of these exceptions? In some situations, it's okay to talk to a person who is part of the solution or who is part of the problem, even though they're not the person in question. This often requires much wisdom and much love to work through properly. Getting counsel from someone outside the situation can be very helpful or you can speak anonymously, someone who doesn't know any of the people involved, and get counsel in a way that doesn't risk any gossip. For example, a woman who is uncomfortable with how she sees a man behaving might ask her husband and or her pastor to address it. The husband or the pastor are part of the solution. That's one simple example of an exception. She had to say something negative to her husband or to her pastor about this man, and he's absent from the conversation. Next example. Or, for example, a known swindler is giving financial advice to an inexperienced young man. It might be needful to warn the young man away from the swindler as the proper process of dealing with the swindler is underway. Sometimes there are time functions involved. See, the young man is part of the problem being caused by the swindler. These things are just examples of how we need to have wisdom as we're learning how to deal with life's problems together without being gossips, without being slanderers. So what is a slanderer? Well, a slanderer is a type of a gossip. It's a subset of gossip. It's the utterance of a false charge or a misrepresentation that damages another person's reputation. A slanderer is also called a tale 
bearer. And you'll see the devil's name in Greek actually means slanderer. So this is the advanced gossiper. They've already exhausted all the obvious character flaws and weaknesses of others. So now they have to make things up or either twist things in order to make others look bad. And you see, the devil is the source of all such vile speech. O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart, who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor or takes up a reproach against his friend. That's what the devil wants to do. The devil wants to get us into slandering, doing evil to our neighbor, taking up, against, taking up reproaches against our friends. You see, we have to, all of us, look at ourselves and see that there's a Judas living inside of us. A good description, we've been through this before, I think when, we, when I preached through the end of Luke. A great description of your flesh is a little Judas. My little Judas inside. That's your flesh. Because see in verse 3 it says, against his friend. This is something that can occur between friends. And it is the devil's evil satisfaction whenever Christian friends are separated from one another. We must not underestimate the depths of the wickedness within each one of us what we are capable of. Romans 7, 18, For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. Apart from Christ, little Judas on the run. That's what you'll do to others. That's what I'll do to others. In order to really benefit from this teaching, brothers and sisters, you need to rightly embrace the biblical teaching about the dark, foul monster of flesh within you that always wants to be on top, that always sees God as your enemy, that always wants to put others down and has the blinding power of self-deception until repentance takes over. This is an accurate description of each one of us apart from Christ. And we'll have our own way of expressing it, our own little ways of our sin coming out. But that's the inner rot of each one of us. If we give vent to our flesh, there's no end to the ugliness that can come out of us. Pastor Kaiser, on the spiritual aspect of gossip, says, Have you had slander in your church? No slanderer can say the devil made me do it. Because Matthew 15, 19 says that slander comes from our own hearts. But Satan knows how to use unrepentant Christians to continue to engage in their slander. His very name in Greek, Diabolos, means slanderer. Revelation 12 says that Satan accuses the brethren day and night. In Job, we see Satan slandering Job in heaven. 2 Corinthians 10-13 attribute the irrational slander that had been stirred up against Paul at Corinth to the devil. In Zechariah 3.1, Satan slanders the high priest Joshua. Slander is the devil's name. And if you or me give way to that, we are doing the devil's work. We are acting like the devil, not like Christ. One of the motives of gossip, Psalm 15.3 told us to take up a reproach against his friend. So let's talk about this a little bit. How is it that friends become enemies? What happens? Well, the first thing is they take something up. They grab hold of it. It's a tight grip. It's with a permanence. That's what this word get, gets at. And they're not going to let go. 
It's like you've heard about certain animals. They'll put their hand inside something to grab it. And you can make a trap, and they will not let go. They will actually die instead of let go of, of what's going on. This is what happens when the sinful heart takes up a reproach. What is a, a reproach? It's some form of contempt or disgrace or scorn or shame or disgust against the other person. They were friends, and now they're not because they're disgusted with them in some way, and they will not let it go. They've got a hold of it. It's like the scripture about the iron bars over the heart. What is a friend? Well, it's one that was loved and accepted and trusted. So, what we see here is that one path to becoming a gossiper is to believe something shameful about someone who's really your friend. And to believe it so intensely that it's like iron bars over a window such that you cannot accept that this other person is actually your friend. And of course, it's certainly possible that they're not your friend. Perhaps you're seeing things accurately. But in either case, it becomes a motivation for retaliation. A motivation for getting even. Proverbs 18, 19 says, A brother offended is more unyielding than a strong city, and quarreling is like the bars of a castle. The sense of betrayal can be a very strong motive towards gossip. So if if you've ever felt hurt by someone, betrayed by someone, whether you actually were or not, beware. Because that moment is the moment where you're going to be very tempted into this sin of gossip and slander. So shaken Christian friendships must be mended in order to undo this breeding ground for gossip. So what's the answer? We all know the answer. It is the pursuit of peace with all men. We have to be active. We go after peace with all men. We treasure it. We seek it. We're disturbed. If it's disturbed, we protect it. We go after it. We value it. Hebrews 12. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness spring up. Springing up cause trouble And by this, many become defiled. You see, pursuing gospel peace is not the same thing as creating a man-made ceasefire. That's not what we're after. Peace is relational tranquility established by the Holy Spirit for the purpose of experiencing growth together in harmony, trust, and Christian friendship that leads to kingdom synergy of action together. A band of brothers. That's what the peace is for. So that we can enjoy one another in the midst of the battle that we're fighting together. We need to see also that God hates the one who sows discord. We need to get a a firm grip on God's view of this sin. We've already talked about how it harms. We've talked about what it is. How does God view this sin? God hates the one who sows discord. It doesn't say God hates discord. God hates the one who sows discord. This is very serious. There are six things that the Lord hates. Proverbs 6. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, 
a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. And you can see how every one of these things has to do with tearing relationships apart, even unto the point of killing someone. Brothers and sisters, I hope that it'll be another Sunday that with gladness and celebratory joy, we go to the Lord's table together as His forgiven people, rejoicing in what He's done for us, united together by the precious blood of Christ our Savior. You see that God does this, right? We're just passive recipients of the union that is ours in Christ. He has done this. We go to the table to receive what he has done. He died to make us friends with him and with one another. The blood he shed, his precious son, he died to give us this friendship, this union that is ours. And from there, things happen. In our union with God and one another, We can grow up in our communion with God and with one another by His grace. The enjoyment of God. The enjoyment of one another. All of this is available to us in the gospel. And this occurs as we love Him and love one another more. And this growth in communion and relationship, it's not passive. We're active participants. That's a beautiful thing when God does this. And so we go back and it's not so surprising in light of what Jesus did to hear God saying he hates the one who sows discord. If you think of it, it is a direct assault on what Christ did on the cross for us. So our unity and enjoyment of one another at the Lord's table really is the pinnacle of Christian worship. It's the picture of the gospel bringing us back to God, back into fellowship with one another It's a return to the garden that we have been given through Christ, the second Adam. So what do you think the Lord thinks of one who sows discord among brothers that Jesus died for? The Lord God hates the person who sows discord. Sowing discord is anti-gospel. It is anti-Christ. It is the opposite of the gospel. It is hellish from the pit of darkness. It is the devil's favorite song to sing. And our precious Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ, hates it. So God has gone out of his way to list this sin as one that he hates. If we sow discord, or if we allow for the sowing of discord, we lose God's favor. We find ourselves in that category of someone that God hates if we live that life. He removes the blessing of his presence from such a people who cast aside the precious relationships that Jesus Christ shed his blood to establish in peace with one another and with God. Do you see God's heart here in this concept of sowing division? A gossiper is one who sows discord. Well, apart from Christ... What will be your attitude towards gossip? My attitude towards gossip. We love it. (laughs) We love it. And our attitude towards strife, we want more. Apart from Christ, we want to fight. 
We want conflict. We pursue conflict. We stir conflict up. That's who we are apart from Christ. We're not peaceable. Proverbs 26. For lack of wood, the fire goes out, and where there is no whisperer, quarreling ceases. As charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. The words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. So have you ever tasted that yummy morsel before in your life? You know, think about that person who's disappointed you, who's somehow made problems for you. Then, well, you know, you happen to hear that they're having some hard times, some family problems, some financial problems. Maybe they lost their job, and you like it. In your flesh, you're glad. And you want to hear about it. You want to receive it into your inner parts. This is your flesh. This is how you will reply, how you will respond to gossip apart from Christ. And this gossip, it keeps the flames of strife burning, even growing. So to receive the report of a gossip unchallenged is to participate in gossip. I'll say it again. To receive the report of a gossip unchallenged is to participate in gossip. Gossip is a two-way street. Okay? So a lot of this has been what comes out of people's mouths. What comes out of people's mouths. But listen, we need to stop for a minute and say, you can participate in this sin that God hates just by listening without, and not saying something. Okay? We have a responsibility in how we communicate. And husbands, wives, listen, marriage is not a gossip-free zone. Children... Siblings, moms, dads, and your family. Family is not a gossip-free zone. All of these commandments that we're talking about against gossip, they have jurisdiction in all of our life. So we have to consider wisely our conversations between ourselves as spouses and in our families. This church is not a, a gossip. We, we don't get to talk bad about other churches. You know, oh, those, those dispensationalists or whatever. We don't get to use our words to tear others down. Anywhere we go. Okay. Now there's this other idea, and, and it kind of flows from this. God hates those who sow divisions, what he said in his word. And so we're told to avoid those who cause divisions. And these are very strong words in Romans 16. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites... And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. So Paul is pleading with the Romans here, the Roman church, appealing to them in the strongest terms to be on the lookout. Now this section here comes right on the tail end, the context of all these beautiful descriptions of love and joy in the church. And so he's like, but hey, this is how it all gets messed up. He's pleading with them. Vigilant watching for those who cause divisions. That word there, to watch out. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out. So this appeal, this is a pleading. He's telling them, I'm pleading with you. Be vigilant. Be on the watch for these kinds of people. That's an instruction that Paul, a commandment that Paul gave to the church at Rome. Vigilant, watching for those who cause divisions. There is a type of person who causes divisions amongst 
That's the reality of what we're dealing with here. And this divisive person usually seems likable on the surface. It's really important. They don't come up to you and just punch you in the nose. Right? They don't just come up to you and start talking really bad about people immediately. What they do first is butter you up and make you like them. That's how the divisive person works. Let that sink in. They seem likable on the surface with smooth, smooth words and crafty use of flattery to gain trust, especially from the naive, you know, have you over for dinner a few times, whatever they need to do to get you all wound up with them. So another way we watch out for a divisive person is to not be naive. Brothers and sisters, trust is granted based upon past proven reliability if you are a wise person. If you are a wise person, trust is granted based upon past proven reliability. Love is given straight away because Christ died for us and we love. But you are a fool if you grant trust to every person that you meet. We have to be wise about who we trust and how we make our decisions about granting trust. That's what it means to be naive. To be naive means to not understand how to assess other human beings and how to, when to grant trust or not. And we have to know also that such people do exist. This isn't just a novel. <laughs> this doesn't just happen in movies. This happens in real life. We have to understand how these people act and be on the watch for such people and confront them if they are identified and, of course, first and foremost, make sure that it's not true about you. Make sure that you're not like this. Because that's the other thing. A lot of times the divisive person has no idea that they're behaving this way. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. So we have a covenant duty, right? The peace, the purity of our church, we all took that together, right? So this is one way we express that as covenant members of Foothills Christian Assembly is that, that we're going to be on the lookout for divisive people. If a divisive person comes here and they start acting that way, we're going to love on them by telling them to quit it <laughs> and saying, hold on a minute, we need to talk about this. That's not how we behave around here. So in other words, we're not just going to stand by and watch people get hurt. And, and, you know, obviously it's especially the duty of church leaders as shepherds, right? Um, we're supposed to be protecting and watching out for people's souls. The other thing in this text that we see here is that the divisive person also creates obstacles contrary to sound doctrine. The divisive person puts up obstacles, hurdles, and barriers against good communication in the way they behave and the way they communicate. There's all these techniques and ploys. Uh, we can talk about other uh, reading materials to look at, but there's multiple, 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 multiple techniques employed, techniques employs that the divisive manipulative, manipulative person uses. And these are the obstacles, the hurdles, and the barriers that keep good communication from happening. Now, once such a person is identified, that person is to be avoided because they're dangerous to the flock, especially to the naive. So this is the person who's not repented, they've been challenged on it, they continue to behave that way, and we're commanded to avoid them. Here's the text. Reject a divisive man after the first and second admonition, knowing that such a person is warped and sinning, being self-condemned. This person has condemned themselves. They won't listen to reason. They won't stop behaving in a divisive fashion, even though they've been lovingly and kindly warned about it. 
So the avoidance is to begin, we see here, only after the person has been formally warned twice by the church. Now that's not to say that families might not make this decision, but I'll just say, as a quick tangent, I would, I would say be very careful about making that decision on your own without getting counsel from others. Next, going on. So another thing we see about the divisive person is that they refuse to admit their wrongdoing and they will likely resort to their smooth speech to try and deny the truth. And when they are challenged, they will use the challenge as a way to attack those who challenge them. They will use it as evidence that everything they've been saying is true. It's possible to sin by not avoiding one who should be avoided. So that's, that's a principle from this. It's possible to sin by not avoiding one who should be avoided. And of course, the theological term here is shunning. It's called shunning. Okay? So there are people, if they are divisive and they meet these criteria, that you can sin by not avoiding them. All this demonstrates the high-level threat of gossip and divisive speech. Jesus Christ loves his bride so much that there are certain times when someone made in his image is to be shunned because that person represents such a grave threat to his precious bride. So let's resolve together as an assembly to watch out for those who cause divisions, those who sow discord amongst the brethren in any way, especially by speaking negative things about others in their absence. There are other forms of causing division as well. Jude, these are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lust, and they mouth, and they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. So this is related to what we've heard already about the divisive person from Romans 16, the flattery, the smooth speech. These are glib individuals who are easy to like. <clears throat> The divisive person will dole out affection and relationship in a measured and differential fashion in order to gain advantage and create factions. Some people get love, others don't. Some people get invitations, others never do. And they use great swelling words. We've probably all experienced this kind of person before. The affection that they express feels kind of awkward, out of place, unexpected, disproportionate to the situation. This can be very difficult to identify because, of course, naturally, in the course of life, some people just enjoy others more than others. That's just the way God made us, right? We have natural affections based on similar interests or personality fit, other things like that. So we know that those types of groups are going to be naturally developing, and that's okay. Nothing wrong with that. You know, it's, it's no surprise that maybe whatever the people who like to deer hunt are in the back talking about deer hunting. I mean, that's just, that's the way life works. Or, you know, if they, if they see patients, that they talk about the patients that they see or whatever. They have their common interests that they end up talking about. That's normal. But the divisive person takes advantage of this, using favoritism to build a faction for their own advantage. That's the way it works. The divisive person may not actually understand how they are acting and what they are doing. They may not understand. It's just a terrible habit of interaction. They learned it. They were steeped in it growing up. And it is a very effective way to get what you want. In the world, apart from Christ, these are the people that are the CEOs. These are the people that are on top. These are the people that you know you better not mess with or they will take you down. And there's a wake of destroyed people behind them and they're on the top of the pie. 
So they may not understand how they're acting or what they're doing. It's just a terrible habit of interaction guided by their own sinful desires, often justified in their own eyes. Okay? Sometimes it's because they've got to get on top. They're just ambitious. But sometimes it's, it sounds nicer. I was only trying to help the church watch out for that person's weaknesses. Now you can see how already this might fit into one of the exceptions that we discussed. So you can see how much wisdom this requires. It's not always crystal clear what's going on. A lot of times the divisive person will believe they're acting righteously until God convicts them of their sin. Yet, of course, there are wolves in sheep's clothing who practice intentional, conscious deceit in order to devour the sheep. There are those kinds of people as well. They are just liars. They're just malicious out to harm people. The person who causes divisions, the divisive person, embraces a pervasive form of interpersonal interaction that leaves a trail of damaged relationships in its wake. And I want to emphasize this. It's pervasive. It's everywhere they go. It's the idea of, you know, the bad tree makes bad fruit. It's, it's going to be there wherever they go. But don't forget, all of us have this potential ugliness within us. And we need to watch out for this <clears throat> ourselves. Here's another text to show how serious this sin is, brothers and sisters. 1 Corinthians 5.11 But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler. Not even to eat with such a one. Reviler here is another name for one who causes divisions by pouring out reproach and contempt amongst the brethren. That's another word for what we've been talking about, the reviler. Note that this sin is listed next to sexual immorality, idolatry, greed, drunkenness, and swindling. This is serious stuff. Another thing that the gossip does, the gossip sets himself up as judge of God and his law. This is a, a, the person who's caught up in this sin, who's living this pattern. This is how they think. James 4 tells us, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There's only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? So, speaking evil against a brother, judging a brother, Think about it. This text tells us it's equivalent to speaking evil against the law, judging the law, which is the same as saying that you're judging Christ, the king and the lawgiver. You're basically setting yourself up as God when you act this way, when any of us do. Now, a, a word worth mentioning here, and I know this we're over an hour already, so hang in there with me, Okay. To judge in this fashion that we see here in James 4, to judge a sibling in Christ like this is to make a final determination about them, believing that they will not change. Okay, that's what, that's what the, the focus is here in James 4. But if they are a brother in Christ, how can we ever say that they cannot change? Again, we're judging Christ, aren't we? Because isn't he the one 
dwelling in them by the Holy Spirit? Doesn't the word promise the Lord will complete the good work He has begun in us, His children? And shouldn't we have that same hope for anyone? as a brother or sister in Christ. All in Christ can and will be changed by God according to His perfect timing and His perfect plan. We have to be patient with one another. Please be patient with me in the areas that I need to grow up. Please be patient with one another in the areas that we all need to grow up in. We bear with one another as God is changing us. We don't revile one another. So let us encourage one another, iron sharpening iron, with the law of kindness, always staying away from judging one another, having constant hope for one another all the time to grow up more and more in Christ, remaining humble and thoughtful in our action, interactions with one another. Brothers and sisters, the Lord sets His face against the reviler. Finally, all of you, this is 1 Peter chapter 3, finally all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. This is a terrible curse. It's a terrible curse. None of us, you don't want this. The face of the Lord will be set against the divisive one. And the face of the Lord will be set against an assembly that continues to associate with the divisive one if there's something that's happened and they, they're not supposed to be associating with them. Or an assembly that tolerates divisiveness. So how... There's a great help right here. How do we respond to the reviler, to the divisive one? We bless the divisive one with truth and love. Direct, tender, immediate correction if gossip occurs. Now this requires courage, doesn't it? We have to, we have to be loving people to be able to do this well. We have to be wise people to be able to spot when we need to do it. We have to be courageous people to do it at all. We need wisdom. We need love. We need courage from heaven to be these type of people. And listen, this kind of thing, if it happens in an assembly, it is a jewel. It is a rare jewel in the earth. I mean, I haven't been all over the earth, but from what I've seen, it is so rare for an entire assembly to be filled up with people who are living with the law of kindness on their tongue with wisdom and affection woven together in order to build up and impart grace with all of their words. Now we've, you hear this, you go, oh, don't we all just go, I have so far to go. It's okay. He will take us there more and more every day. We will grow up into this more and more every day. All right, another section real quick. There's ways that gossip can be disguised. Okay, watch out for the seeking counsel. Now again, it may not be an intentional thing, but it can happen when you're seeking counsel. So be especially careful not to gossip when you're seeking counsel. But I do want us to see that the commands against these sins, gossip, slander, divisiveness, they do not prohibit us from seeking counsel about difficult situations, okay? And that's really important because 
I don't want anyone to leave from this sermon and feel stuck and not able to get counsel. Okay, there's ways to get the counsel that you need without gossiping, okay? There's ways to do that. There's a way to seek counsel that's not gossiping. But this will require great care with our words. It's part of growing up in wisdom. Proverbs eleven fourteen: where there is no counsel, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. So make sure that you understand the commands of gossip rightly and don't see them as keeping you from having a multitude of counselors and learning from them in difficult situations whenever you need to. Proverbs 15, 22, without counsel, plans go awry, but in the multitude of counselors, they are established. See, the Lord wants your plans to be established. Don't think that avoiding gossip requires you not to have counselors. The Lord will help you establish your plans through many good plans, the good plans of God through many wise counselors. Proverbs 26, 24, 6, for by wise counsel, you will wage your own war. And in a multitude of counselors, there is safety. So have a multitude of counselors in your life and, and benefit from their voice in your life on a regular basis. We can also fail through um, gossiping in a prayer request uh, or in, in some way that we're bearing one another's burdens and we're talking about things. So we want to be careful about that. And even sometimes we're not even actually speaking negatively about someone Maybe someone needs some help and we're looking how we can help them, but it can appear to others perhaps that it was a gossip. So just be super careful, right, in, in how we're communicating to, to try to uh, just have that, that tone of affection and love and building up uh, in wisdom and affection all the time. We can easily gossip, brothers and sisters. We don't have wisdom, we don't have enough love, and we can just do it, okay? And we probably do way more than we realize. But God will show us, God will teach us, God will grow us up in this more and more. Law of kindness is our model, our goal. It's the way we love our neighbors with our speech. And we're to guard our neighbors' reputations. We're to stand up for one another's good names. I've got some homework for you. It's the same thing I did last time I preached this long sermon. I want you to look at the larger catechism. Okay, it's in your, it's in your sermon notes. 145 and 144. 145 tells us this extensive list of the sins forbidden in the Ninth Commandment worth meditating on, worth discussing in your families. And then 144, as we've always talked about, you know, every prohibition, there's a flip side of what we're supposed to do in love, how we're to build one another up, the good things that we're supposed to do with our words towards each other, 144. So take the time to go through that. I put it in the sermon on purpose, knowing that I probably wouldn't have time to read it all. But I want, I hope you guys will read it and look at it and discuss it. It's really good. We want to have serious, joyful conversations unto holiness together as his people, where we seek Christ-like transformation together. And this is going to strain our abilities to communicate because we, we're just not there yet. We have to grow up into it, but he'll teach us. So as we encourage one another and bear one another's burdens and even help one another out of sin, let us have the law of kindness on our lips always, always checking ourselves and always speaking the truth. In love, remembering the cross. Remember that woman weeping on Christ's feet and you know, wanting to have that heart of love towards others, towards God and others because of how much we've been forgiven of our own sins. So if you notice something in a friend, here's the default setting, some simple boiled down stuff, right? I already gave you the yellow light, right? If you're talking, saying something negative about someone who's not there or hearing something negative about someone who's not there, that's like yellow zone time. Okay, wait a minute. 
what's happening here, right? But also, if you see something in a friend that concerns you, either don't take it, don't say anything about it at all, or talk straight to them. That's the default setting. Now, of course, there may be some exceptions to this, okay? But that's your starting spot. You're going to have to have somebody talk you out of that, <laughs> okay, in order to go to a different way of handling it. This assumes a relationship of trust and affection is established and ongoing between you and this person, okay? It may not be your place to say anything. Maybe you're not supposed to say anything. Maybe you're just supposed to pray. But the default setting is don't say anything at all or talk directly to the person, okay? So here's a summary of the principles we've looked at today. God hates gossip. God hates the one who sows discord. And gossip sows discord among brethren. And the judgment for this is great. Do not associate with a divisive person. Note and avoid gossips. Gossip kindles and sustains and worsens discord. It would have flamed out on its own, but gossip keeps adding fuel to the fire. Gossip's a tasty trifle that defiles others. To hear gossip is to be defiled. You need to know about your flesh that you love that moment. We all kind of are tempted to lean in and listen more closely when gossip's coming down. Beware. Gossip often involves smooth and flattering speech. It will likely be hard to detect in our own lives and the lives of others sometimes. It's on the list with other terrible sins. Gossip is. Reviling. Slandering. It's the devil's name. (laughs) That's an important point. We are to keep ourselves from being naive and simple-minded by staying in the word. This is a part of how we are growing up in wisdom and understanding that there's different kind of people in the world. There's unbelievers and believers. There's fools and there's wise. There's the sluggard. There's the busybody. There's all kinds of different characters that we're taught about in the book of Proverbs. And our world is filled up with a whole mix of people. And by God's grace, we want to be growing up into being the man of understanding, the woman of understanding, the one who's like Christ and, and, and understanding what's going on around us in our world as, as we're growing. May God bless us to that end. To gossip is to judge God and his laws, to set yourself up, up as God. Gossip is the opposite of love and compassion. God wants us to live in harmony with one another. And gossip destroys the opportunity for communion that is ours in the union that Christ established for us. Refraining from gossip is a prerequisite to happiness. If you are gossip or if you participate in gossip, you will not be a happy person. Gossip will put the face of the Lord against us. It will hinder our prayers before God. The face of God will be against you or against us if we are this kind of person. Gossip is fueled by arrogance and it ends up in brokenness and loneliness. So how do we handle it? Real quick, simple points. It takes two people to gossip. Proverbs 17.4 is one worth memorizing. Highlight it, underline it. An evildoer listens to wicked lips and a liar gives ear to a mischievous tongue. You hear that? So someone who listens when they shouldn't listen is called an evil, evildoer and a liar. So don't be that. Understand your responsibility not to listen. You can sin just by sitting there quietly and listening. Next. Know what gossip and divisiveness are and refuse them. Here's a couple suggested responses. You're there in the situation. You sense that something not good is happening. 
And you could say, have you gone to speak with that person directly? And I would say after the sermon, if you ever hear someone sitting in this room say that to you, you might be like, uh-oh, oops, right? Have you gone to speak with that person directly? That's a great loving response that you know, says, I'm not listening, and, and speaks gently and kindly into the situation. But you may even have to stop the conversation and say, look, I'm uncomfortable with this. I don't know what's going on. It's, it, it, to me, it seems divisive. Or, or to me, it seems like gossip, maybe. And, and just to be able to say that, you know. But, 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 you know, be humble. Maybe you're wrong. Maybe it's not gossip. But if that's where you are, then speak it and work through it. Now, here's a big error that happens. I've seen it happen multiple times, repeating the matter. Okay, don't do this, okay? He who covers a transgression seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates friends. What am I talking about? Okay. Person A gossips to person B about person C. A says bad things about C to person B. Person B goes and tells person C. Big mistake. Big mistake. He who repeats a matter separates friends. So what do you do instead? You give that person who's gossiped the opportunity to go back to person C on their own. That question, have you gone to speak with that person directly? Right? Now, there may come a time where you have to go talk to that person. I'm not saying you never do, but in general, that's, a, that's, that's not the right initial response. You, you send that person back. You try to give them the opportunity to go back and, and be a friend and mend the relationship. But you know what's going to happen? If you go and tell them right then, that friendship, boom, is damaged. Okay? Maybe you need to go to someone and repent of gossip or repent of listening to gossip. Or repent of divisiveness even. Maybe that's true. Maybe as a result of hearing the sermon. And you know what? That's where you start. (laughs) We're all sinners. We've all failed in this regard. And if that's come to your mind, then do it. Go and sit. Say, hey, you know what? I I sinned by gossip. I can see. Or maybe I did. You know, please forgive me. And that would mean, you know, not only the person maybe you you said something you shouldn't have said, but maybe the other person you were talking about. See, we all make mistakes. There's no way we're going to be perfect in this. Okay, guys? In this life... Because it says, he who controls his tongue is what? Are any of us going to be perfect in this life? We're not. We're going to fail in this regard. So what do we have? We have grace. We have grace towards one another. And we go and we say, wow, I sinned. Please forgive me. That's how we live in regard to this. Always growing up and seeking to have more and more uh, of this fire quenched, this tongue tamed for Christ's glory. So do you think there's a trend of an untamed tongue in your own life? It's worth thinking about. And a lot of times it may just be talking too much. I think that's probably the thing that might be the easiest thing to miss. Because you're not necessarily talking about anything sinful or necessarily tearing anyone down. But it's just all this talking. We know from Scripture that where there's much talking, there will be sin. Don't forget the great blessing that is ours when our tongue is used wisely. The antidote for gossip, I've just said it. What is it? Confessing our sin. It's confessing our sin, which is always the antidote to any sin. It's to confess it to one another and confess it to Christ and to walk in the gospel. There's much blessing under God when the tongue is speaking peace and when the tongue is building up. We want that. We want that blessing. Proverbs 15. A man has joy by the answer of his mouth 
and a word spoken in due season how good it is. It's a wonderful thing, brothers and sisters, to be in a community of people who are self-controlled and who speak out of a heart of love for Christ and the law of God is controlling their tongue, who aim to wisely build up and impart grace. Because the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. You can look at those conclusion questions on your own, in your homework with the larger catechism questions as well. We will aim to have a gossip sermon uh, about once a year um, and still hold to that promise that we embraced in 2000, even before 2010, uh, the promise that Scott Brown spoke to their church up in North Carolina, uh, two promises that they gave. Uh, number one is that uh, you'll be the word of God will be preached. And number two is gossip will not be tolerated. Those are the two promises that uh, were big things that Scott Brown uh, taught. And I always like to give him uh, credit for that important teaching. So we'll try to, uh, by God's grace, continue to do this on a regular basis because we forget it. Every time I read through this, every time I look at this again, I'm convicted that I need to grow up in, in my speech. And I hope that that's true all of us and that we'll trust Christ to continue to grow up more and more in our speech. Let's pray. Almighty and gracious Heavenly Father, we do ask you, Lord, that the words that come forth from our mouths would be like the word that comes forth from your mouth to us, giving us life, building us up, imparting grace to us and strengthening us, all for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.